to see you. Happy spring ahead day. Somebody went, <laughs> right? It's good to be back. We had a great, great week away in uh, New Brunswick. A week ago, I was in St. John, New Brunswick, and I got up to speak, and it dawned on me that I was closer to Paris than I was to Vancouver. <laughs> and I was still in the same country, and there's no accent. Well, there was a few francophones. There's a few A's, more A's. They say A more out there. But anyway, we had a great trip. Thanks for your prayers. We, had, we felt prayer just carrying us. Had a wonderful time with our son back in Calgary on our way back. But it's good to be home. Um, big welcome to Kirsten, who's back from Oxford. Welcome, Kirsten. We missed you. How long are you here for now? Seven weeks. All right. Six Sundays. We're going to milk it. All right. Good to see you. Well, we're continuing our series on evangelism. And if we could summarize this, you know, they tell you to be able to, you should be able to summarize your sermon in a sentence. And I'm going to try to summarize the series so far in a sentence. And it's this. If you get the good news, you will give it. If you get the good news, you will, you will give it. That's kind of the gist of, 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 of in the heart of what we've been saying. And um, we've talked about evangelism is, is getting the good news, living the good news, giving the good news. Getting, living, Giving. Let's all say those three words. Getting, living, giving. Now last week, Alec very uh, brilliantly, I felt, I listened to the podcast, uh, showed that our, our posture in evangelism is, is, is that of, first of all, being a servant. And, you know, it's funny how Christians often don't think of those two words in the same sentence. That, that, that we're, we are, our posture towards those that we're, we're bringing good news to is, is serving them. And it, it's one of learning. It's one of listening. It's one of, of watching for how God is already at work in their life. And, and actually pointing that out, actually affirming that, as Paul did in Athens, where he, 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 he pointed out the good that he saw in spite of all of the heebie-jeebies he got so I say that term, a funny story. My uncle's from a, a very redneck part of the country, which I won't say because I'll get in trouble. But he, uh, he was visiting us on the drive one day, and we walked into a shop. He says, woo, i got to get out of here. I feel the heebie-jeebies, and I've never, never forgotten that. So I think Paul may have had a few heebie-jeebies in Athens, but in spite of all the heebie-jeebies, he acknowledged the spiritual hunger and the quest that the people of Athens had, and he, he called that forth. And, and so I want to build on that, that posture of, of, you know, often we think of evangelism as talking, but it's just as much about learning and listening as it is about talking. There is a place for talking, and we'll get, we'll get to some of that today, but I don't want us to forget that. I don't want us to leave that behind, as it were. But remember, uh, in all of this, and, and, and so the topic today is humble apologetics. In other words, in the context of, of 
listening and learning and interaction with, with our friends, with our neighbors, uh, they, they may ask us to give an account for what we believe. And, and so, um, first of all, the word apologetics is a bit of a, a bit of a strange word. What does it sound like? We're more familiar with that word. And, uh, but we actually draw the, the word from, right from the, our text today in 1 Peter chapter 3, where, where Peter writes these words in his first letter. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Again, in passing, the vital connection between worship and evangelism. You will evangelize what you worship. You will good news about what you're worshiping. What, what is the passion of your life? So again, he starts out keeping that heart of worship and reverence to Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. What we've been trying to do over the last few weeks is to, is to increase our alertness to the opportunities around us of what the Father is doing all the time in people's lives and being aware of those opportunities. And, 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 I, and I sense that in our congregation. I'm sensing this this rise in the water level of expectation uh, that I hear little stories in the swirling around of, of good musing that's going on. And uh, he, he goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. Now that word reason there, everybody say reason. That word reason is the Greek word apologia, where we get the word apologetics from. And it's, it's literally a legal term, and I'll get back to that in a minute, but let's read on. Give a reason for the hope that you have. Now, before I go further, let me point out that Peter is not writing to people who are prospering in the Bible Belt. He's not writing to people who've just got a pay raise. He's not writing to people who've got a bigger car and are, 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 are healthy and wealthy and wise. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I would never argue against that. But these were people who were suffering. You get that theme through the whole book. These were people who had lost their property for their faith. Some of them had been thrown into jail. Some of them had lost loved ones through martyrdom. And you read that tenor of suffering through the whole book. And yet, in the midst of that suffering... There's hope that they have. And the good news is, is that some of you who are suffering today doesn't mean you can't be a witness. In fact, sometimes the greatest witness is in the midst of suffering and not when everything's going well, right? And so that's good news for all of us because sometimes we feel like Job. You know, uh, Job's street witnessing style. You're sitting in a pile of ashes. Your body's covered with boils. And as people are walking by, you pass out tracks saying Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, right? That's sometimes how it feels, doesn't it? But the fact is, is that this hope can be whether things are going well or things are not going well. For these people, it wasn't going well. And yet they had a hope that they carried, and we sang about that hope today, didn't we? But then he goes on in verse 15 at the end, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, going back to the word reason or apologia, 
in the, in the Greek. This is a legal term, which means to give a verbal defense, a speech of defense in a court of law. It literally was that part in the trial where after the, the prosecutor had leveled his accusation against you, your defense lawyer would stand up and give a defense. It was in the Greek, apologia. It was a statement for the defense, but it wasn't just content. We've all watched law so shows, and many of us like law shows, and you will notice in law shows that the, the defense or the person who's appealing to the judge or the jury, there's more to it than just content. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Because you don't want to just win your argument, you want to win the jury. You want to win the judge, right? So if you're kind of demeaning and dismissive and disrespectful of the jury and the judge, you may make a great argument, but you're reducing your chances of winning your case. And I have my son's permission to tell this story. I, I um, spent a few years in my parenting life in court. <laughs> and um, and uh, I phoned him last night because one of the greatest examples of this happened in, a, in an incident where he, in, in his life where... Um, he, uh, I got a call from the Vancouver police, and they said he, they had him in custody. And uh, he was in jail for, I don't know, a week or so at that time. And, and he'd been picked up because they caught him racing through a neighborhood in a car that didn't belong to him. It was an allegedly stolen car from a car rental company. And they found a firearm under a seat, the seat of his, his, his driver's uh, seat. And um, so, uh, what's that? Asleep? <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, so anyway, I got this call, and, and, uh, and they said, and have a good day, or something like that. After So I went down to see him, and uh, he said, Dad, it's not what it, what it looks like. And he made the decision to represent himself in the court case. And the reason is because lawyers are obscenely expensive. And uh, he felt he'd taken a bit of law in his high school uh, program. And, and uh, just for your information, it was a, it was a, it was a case of um, uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were actually doing an amateur video shoot. Friend of his friend, of his friend had access to a car from a car rental company. And, and my son didn't know about the weapon under the seat of the car. And of course, this was going to be part of the plot. This video, this video that they were doing. And so in, in the court case, when he represented himself, he did a great job, just skillfully and eloquently explained to the judge and, and, the, and the court. You know, the, the, the lawyers and the police weren't, the, the crown wasn't so convinced, and they were, they were after him. But he stood up and represented himself in court, and it was one of the most enjoyable days I've ever had in my life. He had the whole courtroom just cracking up. The judge was laughing. And he, he started telling about his life and his vision and what, where he was going. And, and, uh, and the, the funniest part was uh, Kirsten had actually gotten Christian a job years ago at UBC. And do you remember he worked for food services running these little Mr. Tube steaks on the, on the campus? <laughs> so he had a vision for kind of taking that around the city. He said it. And so he said, Your Honor, he said, I can set one up right outside the courtroom. You can come to lunch. And I remember the judge going, hmm, you know, like that. <laughs> It was awesome. It was awesome. Anyway, they, uh, uh, he did a great job in explaining the situation and, and um, has, to this day, no criminal record. And uh, I, all I can say is, is it was just as much how he delivered 
as what he said. And now both were important. I'm not saying that content isn't important, but it was a remarkable example to me of an apologetic in a very practical way. And what that meaning is, apologetic is not just having a good argument. It's the spirit and the way in which you communicate. And this is what Peter is after. So there's two things in apologetics. There's content, which is IQ, you know, your intelligence quotient, but there's also EQ, emotional intelligence involved in, in good apologetics. And so, um, secondly, uh, there, are, we, there are strengths and limitations to apologetics that we need to understand. Actually, I'd like to bring this over here because I keep looking back and I'm going to get a sore neck. Being 54 years of age. There we go. All right. So the second thing is strengths and limitations of apologetics. Apologetics are not a magic formula to get us to believe or to get someone to believe. How many know that sometimes you can have all the convincing arguments for faith, but there's things that are in the heart as well as the will that are involved in faith. And sometimes the greatest barrier that people have is an emotional barrier rather than an intellectual barrier. But what apologetics do is they remove the obstacles that people have to faith, that they may have, who, who, who are actually at a readiness to believe, but they, that, that something is, is blocking that. Uh, uh, God may be drawing their heart, but why does God allow these terrible tragedies in the world? Why did God allow the Holocaust? Maybe they're Jewish. Or, or why does God allow human trafficking? Or the terrible things we see going on in our world. What about the Da Vinci Code? You know, all that stuff about the Gnostic Gospels. Or why does the Bible seem to be so hard on, 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 and, and, and on, on certain ethnic groups through history and that seemingly God-ordained ethnic cleansing and all, all of patriarchy and slavery and all these things. What about that? Or what about the things the church has done? Residential schools, you know, getting in bed with the colonials, the, the, the crusades against the Muslims and, so all of these, these questions are, 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 can, be, can be barriers. And I say that even if you don't have a bent towards apologetics for the sake of your kids, for the sake of our kids, for the sake of our emerging generation, they're getting slammed with stuff. They're getting slapped with stuff about Christianity in school and in university, and they need to be equipped with a reasonable apologetic for how to stand against the doubts that are, are being raised about the history and about the church. So um, it's, it's, a, um, it's an important aspect, but there are limitations to apologetics. Bruxy Cavey uses the example that he himself borrowed from another apologist that apologetics are like somebody who wants to go swimming at the beach and they need a ride to the beach. And what apologetics do is they get you to the beach, but they but that person has to decide if they're going to go for a swim. That's, that's coming to faith. And unless you're not a very nice friend, usually they need to make that decision about going in the water, right? I know, I know some of you are different than that. Uh, but, but he uses that example. Is, and C.S. Lewis uh, just finished a seminar with, uh, with, uh, uh, on, on C.S. Lewis at Regent. Wonderful, rich experience. And... and it, Surprised by Joy is this book that he wrote, this wonderful document, 
interpretation of his own journey from an atheistic philosopher at Oxford to becoming a, a very passionate follower of Jesus. And one of the critical points was, was apologetics. He had already be, moved from atheism to theism through the writings of G.K. Chesterton, who was the Catholic apologist, Catholic defender of the faith. But uh, Lewis was not yet a Christian at the time. He's much like Anthony Flew. Have you heard of that guy? He's a British uh, philosopher, atheistic guy, who became a well-known, he was a well-known atheist, became a well-known theist. And he died, I think, in 2010. And, and, I, and there's rumors that even before, that, that before he died, he was beginning to argue for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he could very well have become a Christian. We don't, we don't know for sure. But Lewis was in this theism phase, but he couldn't kind of give himself over to Christianity yet. And one night he was having this long discussion with J.R.R. Tolkien uh, and a fellow by the name of Hugo Dyson. These were two fellow inklings. Remember these guys that used to get together in a pub and talk about philosophy and literature? And Tolkien and uh, Dyson... uh, we're talking to Lewis about one of the greatest barriers to his faith, and that was that he saw in so many other pagan religions this myth of a, of a dying and rising God. So he would say, well, what's the difference? His, Christianity, you know, you're, he, he couldn't make the connect between this historical, this, this uh, assertion from Christians that this was a historical um, uh, record in time and space, and, and all of these other myths that were similar in other religions. And it was, it was causing difficulty for him intellectually. But he wrote, now the issue, in, in Surprised by Joy, he wrote this, now the issue was no longer whether to find the true religion among thousands that were false. As I talked with Tolkien and Dyson, I began to realize is the question was not which religion is true and which of the, all the others are false. Remember, we talked about this last week, right? is that there is truth in all religions. But the question was, where has religion reached its full maturity? Where, if anywhere, have the hints of paganism all been fulfilled? Just like, you know, to the unknown God. He went through that same intellectual struggle that the people in Athens were going through. Um, And he began to see that the Gospels, where the penny dropped, is he began to see that the Gospels were not only history, but they were also myth. Now, when we say myth, we, we immediately think, oh, it's some false story. That's not what he meant by myth. What he meant is that they had their magical, mythical reality that they kept, and yet it was a, it was a historical event. And so in Surprise, about two weeks later, in Surprise by Joy, he writes on his conversion, I know very well when, but hardly now the final but, but hardly how the final step was taken. I was driving to Whipsnade. Did you go to Whipsnade? Never heard of it. I, <laughs> I was driven to Whipsnade one, Sunday mo- one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe. Oh, get this. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. When we reached the zoo, I did. <laughs> Isn't that great? He says, yet I had not exactly spent the journey thinking about it, nor in great emotion. And later Lewis wrote that it was his long conversation with Tolkien and Dyson two weeks before that had a lot to do with it. It It's just that they, through reason apologetics, loving friendship apologetics, they removed the barriers that he had to faith. 
And so Tolkien and Dyson were ready with a reason for their hope, which cleared the obstacle for, for C.S. Lewis to jump in the water and take a swim in faith. So let's talk about giving a reason for our hope. Um, first of all, um, form and content. Content is the IQ. Form is the EQ. Form is what you say. Or sorry, content is what you say. Form is how you say it. And in giving the reason for our hope, as we ask questions, as we listen, as we engage with people, as Dawson said, it's really hard to be a secret agent for Jesus, right? I don't know if you quite worded it that way, but that's what I heard. And I remember my boss at UBC. I've told you a little bit about my five-year journey at UBC and, and how that uh, I had opportunity to pray for people, to see God's power in that university department. And, but my, these, these crusty old mining professors, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're really rough around the edges. And they, they, how many know they have some really colorful language sometimes? And... and, and my boss, it was, it, was, it was quite interesting because he would, in the middle of something, he'd go, Jesus Christ, like that, right? And sometimes he'd insert another few things in the middle of that, right? And I never once, ever once said something about it. Now, it hurt. It hurt when he said that. But you know what he would do when he was, when he was finished? He'd go, oh, I am so sorry. Oh, and he would just like, He'd be in pain, you know. I, I never said anything, right? So it's not because you're a preacher, you feel like you got to sort everybody out. and You know, it, that, that's not our call. But the call is to live out the life of Jesus and to ask questions and to live in humility, to be a servant. And, and you're going to get questions, right? You're going to get questions. Why do you believe that? And the Bible says, as you, as you answer, do it with gentleness. Now, this word gentleness is the same word, one of the fruit of the Spirit, meekness, which literally means power under control. It's, it's, it's used of powerful animals like wild horses that were domesticated or cattle where they, they, their strength was channeled and controlled. It's not weakness, but power under control. Much like when Jesus, you know, being spat upon and rejected. And, and when Peter tried to defend him with his sword, he said, don't you know, I could right now call 10,000 angels to smoke this, these guys. But he didn't. He restrained power. So as you and I share the good news, there, there's this sense that you're even sensitive, you're, you're aware of the emotions of the person that you're talking to. And if someone is starting to get bowled over by your argument, you literally have the discipline to back off. You literally have the, distant, the discipline, the loving care for the, that person, the dignity of the person, to literally back off and say, well, what do you think? You know, keep, keep that, that, that exchange happening. But so often when we feel like we're in an intellectual advantage, we want to just kind of bowl over somebody and, and again, we win the argument, but lose the person, right? So there's this sense of gentleness. You know, it's, it says, uh, in, to use the King James rendering in, in Proverbs, I think, or, those who win souls are wise. And there's a, there's a wisdom involved. It's, Jesus uses the, the example of fishing. You know, there's a wisdom in fishing that's needed. 
And there's a, there's a relational wisdom that's part of evangelism that is so critical. And there's a great article in the Globe and Mail this last week about uh, people who are always dispensing advice without, ask, without being asked. And they just said it's the lowest form of advice. <laughs> it indicates a lack of EQ, right? So, so as you ask questions, and I, we'll talk about this more next week, but as you... You know, as you're in conversations with your friends and your neighbors, what you do is you, you ask a question and you, 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 as you gauge the response, you discern whether or not you should keep talking about the topic. I, I, I love what Bruxy Cavey says. You don't need to pray about sharing Jesus. You need to, be, you need to be, pray about when you should shut up. Right? You need to be sensitive. So as you talk, you, you become aware. You're... You know, it, it takes emotional intelligence. It takes relational intelligence. Just a, just a sense. Is this person ready? Can we go further? Or should I back off? So that's, that's what Peter's talking about. Do it with gentleness. And then with respect. Respect is similar to what Alec talked about last week, where you, you respect their worldview, where you, you see the God in their worldview. You, you, you point out where God's at work in their life, like Paul did with the Athenians. And, and you affirm that. One of my heroes is E. Stanley Jones, and, and Kathleen and I are reading through his book, Abundant Life. It's a, it's a daily devotional. I really recommend it. It was written in the 1940s. feels like it's written for our time. But what he does is he starts out this devotional assuming that you don't believe anything. You don't believe in God. You don't believe... He just starts at ground zero. It's amazing. And, and he builds slowly an argument for the Christian faith. And... E. Stanley Jones was incredibly skilled at showing respect for his opponents. He was a missionary in India, and he interacted freely with Sikhs, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and he himself convened these roundtables in, in, in India where he would get leaders of different faiths to come together, and they would dialogue, and he would ask questions, and he would listen, and he would affirm what he saw of God in, different, in, in the different worldviews. And this guy led hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ through his life just simply by being a loving, gentle, respectful witness of Christ. So, gentleness and respect. Now, having said that, uh, Peter goes on to write, keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, it's, it's literally, it, it's not so much that the person who you're dialoguing with is observing. It's, it's, it's almost the implication of a third party that's watching you. And they, they say, boy, you know, Vern really got his head bit off, you know, in the office the other day. But did you see how he responded? And they may not even, is that prophetic, by the way? No. no. Uh, and he responded the other, he responded by, by, by in gentleness and respect. He didn't respond in kind. And, and that's kind of what Peter's talking about there, is people observe how you re relate, how you respond to others. Now, Jesus never expected us to go on blind faith. He always told people to check out the evidence. So having said that, having talked about form, let's look at content. And I would like to say, being part of the vineyard, that the first evidence for faith is power encounters. Hello, what movement are we in? 
And my favorite story, John Wimber's story, is the time he got on the plane. You remember that in the book Power Evangelism? He gets on the plane and he sees this guy sitting with a woman and he sees the words adultery written on his forehead, right? Uh, so he's, he goes and sits down in the seat and he's kind of, oh God, oh God, oh God, you know. Finally, he, 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 uh, he found an opportunity to just speak to the man briefly and he says, I don't know what this means, but I got on the plane and I, see the, I saw that word on your forehead. Well, the guy broke down, turned out that the woman was, he was with was not his wife. He was off on an affair, on a fling, and it so convicted the guy, he repented, gave his life back to Jesus, broke off the affair, and got reconciled with his wife. Now, that's a good day at the office, right? Um, and his point is, is that Jesus wants to show himself alive today. I, I, I'm so proud of Kathleen, you know, she, you know, Kathleen's one of these people, uh, ready, fire, aim, as far as evangelism, right? And so we're, we're you know, we're in St. John, New Brunswick, you know, flying, you can't get there from here. I just want you to know that. It's, you know what we had to do? We had to go Toronto, Halifax, back on this plane, and it, it's this little uh, 18-seater that's got nine seats on one row, nine seats, and then a, an aisle down the middle, and Kathleen usually, she's just reading the paper or whatever, because we've been on so many airplanes, you know, we go numb. But on this plane, she's looking out the window. It's really late at night. It's in Halifax. And they said, oh, before we take off, we're going to have to uh, de-ice. And, you know, the, the signs, we saw these signs going out, delay, 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 delay. It's interesting flying in Canada this time of year. And, 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 and so, so Kathleen's looking out the window, and it's all dark out there. And the thing is shaking. I heard something clatter at the back, and I said, I believe we're still intact. I believe we're still intact. And, and then she leans over to me, and she says, are we still on the ground? <laughs> so, so we come up to this de-icing station, and this guy comes out in this, this really, I mean, rickety-looking, look like a rototiller thing, and the guy comes out, and he starts spraying the wings of the airplane. And um, so, so then we take off, you know, and... And, uh, and, and, and then there's time, I, you know, there was, I've, I've been in three different time zones in the last week, and then they changed the time last night. <laughs> it's all I needed, right? So, so we, we're, we're, going from, uh, we're going from Halifax to Ottawa on the way back, and every, delay, 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 blizzards, fog, low ceiling. So everybody's behind. The whole country's behind. I mean, it fits. We were close to Newfoundland, right? No, no, they're ahead. Oh. Okay, sorry. And um, so, yeah, and, and so we arrive in Ottawa, and we come up to the counter, and of course, the flights are now, what, two to three hours behind. So all your connecting flights, people are missing them. Well, there was this, uh, I think it was a single mom and her little guy who missed a connection, and she was just getting a job in Fort McMurray, and they could not get her, they told her they could not get her a flight for four days. And she just melted in a flood of tears because she was getting a job, and, and she her job was was and she just she just she just what happened? So Kathleen comes right to her, puts her arm around her, and Dan Bent, who's one of the national team leaders in the vineyard from Calgary, former uh, junior hockey player, used to fight Dave Semenko. They called him Psycho. Uh, he's he's now saved, kind of, <laughs> but uh, most of the time. And he, he comes up, and, and, and so Kathleen and Dan, and, and, and uh, Kathleen said, well, K 
can, can I just pray for you right now? And I'm going... <laughs> I'm kind of behind. I'm in the catcher. Right? And so, bless her heart, Kathleen starts praying for her, and literally in front of our eyes, the, the, the lady at the ticket counter says, oh, uh, we can fly you into Toronto early tomorrow morning and then get you a direct flight to Fort, uh, Fort McMurray tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. Grab a mic there. I think what's really important in this story is that, like, I didn't go right up to her and immediately put my arm around her. I just went, I was really compelled because she was really shaking, and I said, this woman is really distraught. She's very upset. She was crying. She was almost hysterical. And so you know how what happens in your mind. You're thinking, okay, we have to get back on the plane. How many minutes do we have? And I just felt the Lord say, you know, just go up there. Just walk up to her. So I just walked up. I didn't put my arm around her because that would have been a bit intrusive, even though I am cute, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I just stood beside her and started to hear her, you know, crying out and saying, you know, I, can't, I don't know, I won't dramatize it, but she was really crying, and she's like, I just can't go to Calgary. I don't have any money. I can't stay there for four days. They I were going to keep her in Calgary for four days, yeah. right? Yeah, and this, like, this ticket agent was like, who cares, right? So I just said, okay. So meanwhile, Dan's doing the shuffle. It comes around the other side, and so we're kind of like... So all, all I, I heard her story, and I just felt like, well, you know, I think Jesus, maybe Jesus could change things. So I said, do you mind? W- would it be okay? If I prayed for you and asked the Lord, or I didn't say the Lord, I just said, was it okay if I prayed for you and see if God could change your flights? Okay. (laughs) And her little boy who's six years old, he's standing there with his monkey, and he's looking up at her. He says, it's okay, mommy. It's okay, mommy. It's okay. And so I just prayed, and immediately, within a matter of a minute or two, the ticket agent, whether she was a little bit intimidated, because now we have... All the people in the whole waiting area watching. <laughs> yeah, we had, a, we had a captive audience. So I think she was like, I better try to do something because everybody's watching. <laughs> and yeah, I've got to show a little bit of compassion even if I do work for Air Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so within minutes, oh, by the way, we have a flight. You can, and the beauty of this story is, she said, well, could I at least stay here in Ottawa? I have a sister here. And, and then at the end of it, her sister, before we got back on the plane, her sister was on the way to pick her up, and her little boy was going to be able to see his auntie. What a beautiful story, eh? Yeah. And Dan tried to give her money. She wouldn't even take it. Yeah. I think, you know, you, know, you just... Dan, Dan is one of the most generous, generous uh, people. He just... Uh, one time I was stuck in an airport, and and didn't want to pay the extra money to, to catch an earlier flight, and he just forks out cash. He's a very generous guy. So again, he offered her money. So let's imagine. I mean, we watched God just change the situation. I wanted right? just to say, it's love that, love. Yeah. It's love I'm that preaching. opens the door I'm preaching now. for yeah. faith. <laughs> it's love. It was love. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, so, so imagine none of those prayers had been answered. Imagine none of that would happen. Somebody, somebody came up, showed her love. Somebody offered her money. She's going to remember that for the rest of her life, right? And of course, we did see God, God also intervene in a, in a remarkable way. I mean, it doesn't always happen that way. I don't know why. 
I've, I've sometimes offered to pray for unchurched, uh, you know, non-Christian people and really want Jesus to show himself and nothing happens. Uh, I prayed for a guy that was working on our furnace a, a year or two ago and he had this kind of thing in his spine problem and, and nothing happened right there. But I remember being very tender. I, you know, I remember that. So sometimes it's just the, the tenderness of God's presence. Um, he's God, I'm not, right? So we, we just have to obey. So all that to say is, is, is just in your own way and personality, uh, you know, uh, look for, for those, those opportunities to, to offer prayer and for God's presence and power and, and, and be yourself. You don't have to be me. You don't have to be Kathleen. You, be yourself in it. And uh, the, the, the question I have is, where is the church growing the fastest in the world today? It's growing fastest where there's signs and wonders. I, I, Kirsten, I was sharing this story a few weeks ago about the Nepalese vineyards. They put a moratorium on church planting. They said, we don't have enough leaders. We've got to stop church plants for a while. And Todd wrote me and said they've planted eight churches since then. That was three, three months ago and, or something like that. And, and the reason is is because even though they said we're going to stop planting churches, somebody would go to a village, somebody was sick, they'd pray for them, they'd get healed, and then other people would say, well, what happened? And they'd go, oh, we better plant another church. You know, and it, and it just, you can't keep up to God, right? So, um, the second uh, evidence is, is uh, personal experience. There's probably no evidence more powerful than that in our lives. The New Testament writers were shameless in declaring their own experience. John wrote this in 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now get this. So he's talking about personal experience, right? Then he says this. We proclaim to you that we, what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. He doesn't say with God. He says with us. It starts with them connecting with us as a community. This is a very communal, family-oriented evangelism. So it's, it's saying, you, you connect with us, and then together we will encounter God, the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. How many have ever heard the phrase, you know, you have to first belong before you believe nowadays? And, and often people become part of our community. I pray that we be a community where no matter where people are at in their journey, they can walk with us. They can be a part of us and, and explore and seek and ask questions. And, and, and may not, may, they may not necessarily live the way we want them to live at the outset. Of course, we want them to move towards Jesus, but, but it's, you know, it, 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 often we want them to get cleaned up before they become part of the church. Who of us is cleaned up? Right? We forget. We forget that we're all still in this journey. So, so John this declares that there's another powerful evidence, and some of you are going to go, are you kidding? But this is the third evidence, Christ embodied in his church. Now some of us have a real problem with that because we know the failures of the church. We know the mistakes the church has made. Yet Jesus himself said, that the church would be one of the fundamental evidences of his, of his reality. Uh, you know, uh, many of us are like Philip Yancey. 
He wrote this book called Soul Survival and Soul Survivor. And you know what his subtitle is? How My Faith Survived the Church. <laughs> you know, could we not do better than that? <laughs> you know, we've really made some mistakes, haven't we? But in spite of that, in spite of that, Jesus prayed this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. Remember this prayer in the garden that he prayed or just before his suffering and death. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that talking about? Hmm? He says, I'm not praying just for who? For his disciples, right? He'd been praying for his disciples. But he said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's right, us. So what's he praying for us? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This, this is the strongest apologetic from the very beginning. That the, the world We live in a world that's fragmented and shattered, that finds harmony by division. By subdividing. We can't get along, so you go there and we'll go here. We'll put the kids there. We'll put the adults there. We'll put the teenagers there. We'll put the, you know, the, the uh, goths over there. You know, we have all of this subdivision in our society. The, the miracle of the church is that the church is this, uh, has this unusual sociology of age, stage, genders, styles, personalities, culture. And yet we're one. And so I want you to know, church, that you're evangelizing when you love one another. You're evangelizing. You're, you're, you're making sweet music that makes the word, words of the song a lot more palatable. When you take over to me meals to someone who's just had a baby, you're evangelizing. Karen went, woohoo, the back. When you babysit for one another, give each other a night out. When you share... Meals in one another's homes. When you take care of one another, you're, you're evangelizing. You're good news. Well done, church. Well done. And then finally, the, the last evidence is, is the content of apologetics. There's incredible historical evidence, incredible archaeological evidence, and incredible moral evidence. The Tao. This is a, the term that the Easterners use for the moral law. Paul often argued from the moral law. It's one of C.S. Lewis's main apologetics was the moral law. The, the, he, the wonderful chapter in, Christi, in Mere Christianity, right and wrong is a clue to meaning in the universe. One of the, 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 some of the greatest times I've ever had on university campuses is just this discussion about what, 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 do you, what do you see as the basis for right and wrong? You know, what do people do? They talk about, well, you know, it's, it's kind of up to you. Okay, so Hitler, you know, Hitler had a, it's up to him, you know. And, oh, well, not, not Hitler. Well, why is he wrong? What's your basis? Well, because he hurt people. Well, what's your standard? What's your basis? And you begin to ask those questions and press that. And the moral law is a very powerful argument. No, there's, there's powerful pushbacks too, but it's a, it's a good argument. Archaeology and history, the more they discover about history, the more they discover in archaeology, the more uh, scripture uh, is, is verified as being true. I've talked about this before when we did the series Reason for God, but um, uh, the, the, the scripture texts are some of the most uh, numerous ancient texts. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, Western, uh, a lot of literature, a lot of the classics, 
that we wouldn't even blink an eye at in our culture and say, well, that's, that's verifiable, that's legitimate, that's credible. Uh, have way fewer manuscripts than, than scriptures do. And, and later, later manuscripts, some of the earliest ancient literature comes from scripture. So here's some resources. What I would say is commit to being a lifelong learner in this area of, of archaeology, history, and the moral law. Read your Bible regularly and prayerfully. It's one of the greatest apologies. Some, sometimes when I've read scripture, it has actually prepared me for some meeting that I had that day. Just, just something will happen where, where, where all of a sudden later in the day, it, it, it'll come in handy. Always have a book available. Keep them in visible places. I noticed Dawson and Leona have one in their bathroom. Great place to have a book. You know, a lot of wasted time in there, you know, so read a book. Uh, remember the people that are in line, though, when you're doing that. Um, uh, carry a book or, or an audio, or an, you know, an iPod or MP3 with you. Carry uh, so that I, what I've noticed in my day is I'm quite a, my life is pretty full. But I sometimes have these spaces, you know, waiting to get a haircut, waiting in the bank or whatever, 10 minutes. And it's amazing how much of a difference that can make. Discuss what you're learning with Christian friends. Say, well, what do you think about this? And, and get them to push back. You know, discuss what you're learning with your non-Christian friends. Now, here's some resources. One of the greatest gifts that John ever gave me was a loan. You still have that, right? You still have that one? This is a great book, Christianity on Trial. There's been incredible charges made against the church about its support of slavery, anti-Semitism, uh, uh, misogyny. And what this book does is it, it doesn't play down uh, you know, the, there's accusations that the church has resisted democracy, tolerance, equality, individuality, and other intrinsic values in Western culture. The, the problem with these condemnations, the review says, is of course they're all false, as these two authors demonstrate by restating the historical record and core of the Christian teachings by putting specific events such as the Crusades, practices such as slavery, and historical and cross-cultural perspective. They don't deny genuine wrongdoing by Christians. That's important. I think we have to own our stuff. And we've been doing that, of course, with the residential school system. But it balances the wrongs with a much larger record of doing by Christians and churches. The church is responsible for the birth of universities. We wouldn't have universities without churches. There wouldn't be school systems without churches. There wouldn't be hospitals without churches. And so he, he documents, these, these authors document this one case after another, that even, even with the times that there's been resistance to democracy, that the gospel is literally the foundation for the formation of democracy. Good book. Highly recommend it. Another one I already mentioned, C.S. Lewis. You can tell I scammed these off Amazon. But the, uh, the, C.S. Lewis very eloquently argues not only from the moral law, but he argues about the divinity of Christ, his atonement, the bodily resurrection. Great book. We taught through this a year or two ago, The Reason for God, Timothy Keller, what I like about Timothy Keller's book is it's quite current. Uh, he deals with issues like, you know, the Da Vinci Code. How many know people like to bring up the Da Vinci Code and the Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, and all this stuff? Well, he's very good on some of that stuff. Uh, and then finally, I haven't read this, but this intrigues me. Ruxy Cavey recommended it, as it has Bob Gadd, a colleague of mine and some other friends of mine, recommend this book by Greg Boyd called Letters of a Skeptic. Let me just read what it is. 
Edward Boyd is, is Greg Boyd's father, 70 years old. His agnosticism rested not too much on any positive position, but rather on a host of negative ones about Christianity. In an attempt to address these negative issues, his son Greg, who's the author of the book, or the editor, a professor of theology, asked his father, a strong-willed, highly intelligent and stubborn 70-year-old, to enter into a correspondence in which all of their cards would be laid on the table. Greg would give his father the opportunity to raise all his objections to the veracity of Christianity, and Greg would answer these questions as well as give positive grounds for holding to the Christian faith. Three years later, and more than 30 letters later, the book was um, published, and Edward Boyd came to accept Christ, his father. It's very moving. During his journey, he and his son hashed through such topics as why the world is so full of suffering, why an all-powerful powerful God would need us to pray, how you can believe in someone who rose from the dead, and how another man's death can pardon others. Despite their brutal honesty, both men exhibit respect and love towards one another as they address their volatile subjects. In Edward's second response to Greg, he boldly says, well, your distinction between the Christian church and Christians is interesting and novel, but frankly, I don't buy it. Greg responds saying, I've got to admit that you're raising some extremely good points in your letters. You're raising the most difficult questions a theist can face. So father and son um, modeling uh, gentleness and respect. Beautiful. So there's more, uh, lots more, and uh, we may post some more. By the way, on our website, we're going to put the podcast of today up, but beside it is a worksheet, and I'll list some of these resources on there if you want to follow through on that. And I'm also going to give you these questions on the, on the podcast. You, we can now publish uh, document files right beside the podcast. In light of God's invitation for each of us to become more effective in apologetics, first of all, in the area of content, what steps are you planning to take to become more educated in apologetics. Where do you need to sharpen? By the way, every uh, era has kind of critical issues. You know, like the Da Vinci Code has been kind of strong lately, hasn't it, and that stuff. But, th but that may not be an issue in five years. And so, so you might want to say, well, what are the questions my friends are asking? What, what's coming up in university or in, in my high school classroom or, or wherever you are in your neighborhood? What are the objections? And, and get sharpened in those areas. And then um, form, invite someone, now this is probably the hardest one, invite someone that you trust to be honest with you on how gentle and respectful you are in communication. How's your EQ doing? Invite the Holy Spirit to come and give wisdom for cultivating growth in these areas. Let's pray. So Lord, we just invite you to come, Lord, and... and uh, I feel particularly in this, in this area of, of form, Lord, that you would sharpen us in our ability to be gentle and respectful. And uh, I just, I, I, I want to pray for people today who are struggling in this area because you have not had that shown to you through your life. You can't give what you don't have. And if you've not been treated with gentleness and respect, it's very hard to show it. So if that's been you, maybe it's by church authority figures, by parental authority figures, or just where somehow God has not been modeled in a way that, uh, that, that, that models this gentleness and respect. I'd love to, to, to see some prayer for you today.
Just be open to that. And I think what, what uh, Joanna shared, something about Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. I just feel the Holy Spirit is on that. And uh, maybe you need Jesus to be the same today as he was when he healed the paralytic, when he said that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turned to the paralytic and he said, rise up and walk. Maybe you need Jesus to show you his power today. Maybe you need healing. And, and the way that we open it up for prayer is you can either come to the front and just have a seat here or stand and somebody will come and pray with you. Or you can just turn to someone and, and have someone that you trust and respect pray for you where you are, a friend that you came with or a family member. We bless either way. Thank you, Lord. Are there any other words just that anyone has? Just what the Father's doing? So let's stand together. Holy Spirit, we just say come. Let's just welcome him today. Just church, just say come Holy Spirit. Just in your own way, wherever you are, just invite him to come. Just to refresh you, to fill you. It's amazing to me that the most powerful person in the universe, the one who just spoke a word and the heavens were created, is the most gentle person in the universe. Isn't that amazing? Lord, we want to be like you. We want to be like you. I, I think of what David said. Lord, your gentleness makes me great. Your gentleness. A gentle word breaks the bone, it says in Proverbs, something like that. Lord, we just, I ask you to come in gentleness today. I pray for those that are stressed. I pray for those that are striving. Lord, that you would just come and refresh and renew, <coughs> restore and revive that sense of tenderness. You're tender, God. I love that verse in, in Isaiah where it says that he will gently lead the lambs, that the ooze that are, the, am I saying it right? The ewes, I'm not a very agricultural person. Uh, the, the, he, will, he will gently lead the ones who are pregnant with their young and the little ones. The gentleness of God, his, our shepherd. <laughs> Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Just, just, some of you just need him to massage your heart right now. You just got a bruise in your heart. Just let him come and massage your heart right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Gentle dove. Gentle dove. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit is symbolized as a dove. There's a reason why. He lights gently on us. Just come, Lord. Pray for those that need healing in their bodies, in their minds today. Lord, for those struggling with depression, would you just break it, Lord? Just lift it. Lift it from them, Lord. Lord, thank you for this faithful church that loves one another, that is good news by the way they treat each other. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage, Lord, to just take little risks, just gentle risks this week to be and bring good news. Come, Father. Maybe, Mark, you can just put some uh, quiet, uh, pre-recorded music on. I was very quiet. Uh, I just called heavy metal. I just wanted to also, this whole area of stress that really 
keeps us so tied up in a bundle. Like one of the key things that my son is learning to do is find ways to de-stress, which is so incredible for him and for me in order to have a little bit of extra time so I can be the new radical, friendly person instead of always being, you know, wanting to be friendly but not really being friendly. So I just feel like the stress factor is really high in our lives. And it produces, so I just feel like the Lord wants to just um, bring somehow a way of removing just even like one little bit of stress. You know, for, for Christian, for my son, it was like he met a First Nations woman who's doing laser on him to help him uh, be set free from nicotine addiction. And she said, Mom, I want you to meet her. And so we went to meet her, and she was just so warm and loving. She has a wonderful marriage. And he said, Mom, this is my third mom. My sister is his second mom. And then he has a third mom. <laughs> and, you know, through the course of the two days we were with him, Chris said, Mom, it's time for you to think about yourself, not just about me now. How come I just started crying? Because, you know, we're always really trying to take care of things. But anyway, I just release that. Lord, I just release somehow. There's, a, there's stress on people, and it just results in a lack of immunity against little things like colds. And So, Lord, I just pray that you would just hover over us as a family, hover over us as friends, hover over us as husband and wife, hover over us as moms and dads, hover over us and just come down and release the stress. Just one little thing. Maybe it's just one little thing, like learning how to carpool, or just one little thing that you're, you're showing us little steps to take to release the stress from our lives so we can just have much more rest in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So the grace of the Lord Jesus, love of God, communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you.